0: Welcome to Optimistic Design, a podcast where we take a practical, positive look at the future of design, ethical innovation, and technology. I'm your host, Wilma Lamb, Strategy Director here at Substantial. For today's episode, I am pleased to welcome Ken Tanabe. Ken is a versatile creative leader with deep design expertise and a passion for harmonizing audiences and information. Professionally, he is a design leader who has worked for and with Fortune 50 companies and cultural institutions spanning tech finance, health and wellness, entertainment, and many others. He was an award-winning adjunct professor of design for 16 years and has done public speaking engagements at over 90 venues. Today we'll be talking about Loving Day, which is celebrated on June 12th, a holiday Ken created as a design-driven social change project that commemorates Loving v. Virginia, the 1967 U.S. Supreme Court decision that struck down laws against interracial marriage. Yeah, hi Ken, and welcome to Optimistic Design. Great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's subject is one you know I'm really keen to talk about. So far on the show, we've talked a lot about like equity-centered design when it comes to product and when it comes to services. So this is a sort of new topic for us when you think about the design of like a movement or a holiday. But maybe as a starting point for this conversation, can you share what Loving Day is about and the story of Mildred and Richard Loving?
1: Absolutely. A loving Day is an anniversary of a court decision, a historic one uh, about interracial marriage. And it's called Loving Day because there's a couple at the center of the case, and they had a very appropriate last name. It was Loving, Mildred and Richard Loving, right? And they're from Virginia. They fell in love and wanted to get married in 1958, but that was actually illegal for them because they were an interracial couple and because they were in Virginia. It was one of many states that outlawed interracial marriage at that time. So they drove to D.C. to get married and came back, but realized that was also illegal. And they found out because the police came to their home and arrested them at night, basically, and took them to prison. And when they stood trial, the judge gave them a choice, either serve one year in prison or leave Virginia and don't come back for 25 years. It's basically banishment. So they moved to D.C. and it's amazing. Mildred Loving wrote a letter. She handwrites a letter to Bobby Kennedy, the U.S. Attorney General at the time, and says, here's what's going on. Can you help? He refers them to the ACLU, who connects them with lawyers, uh, two lawyers who appeal their case for free for years, And that's how they end up at the Supreme Court, where they win in a unanimous decision that strikes down centuries of racist laws against interracial marriage and relationships. And that's not just for them. That's for everybody, you know, all the interracial couples in the U.S. And it took nine years. So the date of the decision was June 12th, uh, 1967. And that's why June 12th is Loving Day.
0: Thank you so much for that background. Obviously, a really historic decision has impacts, definitely felt even to today. But could you talk a little bit about the creation of Loving Day itself and and the mission and, and purpose of it?
1: Sure. So first, I want to say that Loving Day is is something that's open to anyone, right? But it can also be especially significant for folks who are in interracial relationships or multiracial families, or people who are uh, mixed race or transracially adopted people, and those with like a similar type of experience. So in that frame, that's where our mission kind of comes to light, right? It's a global day of visibility, education, and community. So for visibility, that's about being a platform for visibility, is like a collective, like all of us together, but also individual affirmations as people share their lives through stories and photos and things. So education is another big part. It's an opportunity every year to to learn about the loving decision. And I see that as an entry point to understanding interracial relationships and multiracial families in this context of history and culture and like social and legal structures. And for community, I like to say that Loving Day builds a shared tradition that connects a a global and diverse community.
0: So while today, I think Loving Day has been celebrated nationally, and internationally, a lot of people have become part of these celebrations. But you had originally started Loving Day in 2004 as a graduate thesis project in design school in New York City. Could you talk a little bit about why you decided to focus on this for your project? And what about Loving versus Virginia resonated with you?
1: Sure. My dad is from Japan. And my mom is from Belgium, but I was born and raised in the US. So I'm coming from an interracial and international family. And I like to, I have this joke I like to tell, which is that the TV at home doesn't speak English that often, you know, and the inside of the refrigerator is kind of an international place too. And on top of that, I was a nerdy kid who studied hard, but somehow I managed to never learn about the loving decision, not from school, not from family, but in my twenties, I just fell on it. Right. i stumbled across it by searching for something else on the internet. And when I did, I I asked my family, like, did you know about this case? Their name was Loving, right? And they're like, yeah, we we knew. It was the headline news in the 60s, right? But when I asked people my age, they thought, you know, what is this thing? they never heard of it. So I thought, I'm a person of a mixed race. I paid attention in school. I'm culturally aware. How did I miss this? You know, it's a civil rights milestone and, and the name is loving. So if you fast forward a few years, I thought I'm in grad school for design. I need a subject for my thesis. And I think this is, this is where I should focus.
0: Yeah, it's definitely true. Like I, I think the first time I really heard about the loving versus Virginia case was actually when we met and we're working together. And I heard about it like like through you leading Loving Day and and became a part of the celebrations that way. So there's definitely still this need to kind of talk about it more, although definitely people today know a lot more about it than maybe in 2004 when you got started. But thinking back to the time of when you were getting started, what was your approach? I mean, sort of a unique thing for a designer, you know, even within a graduate school context to, to be like, OK, I'm going to design for a holiday. How did you begin that initial design process?
1: You know, you say approach, it makes me think approachable. I think that was my approach, right? Make it simple and approachable. Because in design circles, people talk about have a beginner's mindset and that's valuable. And I I think I definitely had that because I I knew next to nothing about the case or the history, you know, as you were talking about. But I was eager. I wanted to dive into the complexity. And I did that by going to a library with an empty suitcase and filling it with books because it was back in the day. And I dragged that bag, you know, home with me on the subway. And there were like thick academic books and dissertations and what have you. And as I covered the floor of my, like, small Brooklyn rented room, right, with bookmarks and books, I was like, no one's going to want to do this, right? So I realized that Loving Decision, this is like a tip of the iceberg way into the subject. And yeah, I mean, you you want to keep the path open to letting people dive deeper if they want to and making that simpler as well. But I thought my focus is going to be on this decision and making it the most approachable entry point to the history and the laws and, and everything else. Just think about storytelling as well. Like when you look at civil rights in the U.S. and the way it's taught, I mean, that's something I learned about in school. It's usually through stories for, you know, younger folks, especially, you know, think about Rosa Parks. So I thought maybe if you have a Rosa Parks type story for the Lovings, it would be a way to get into the subject.
0: So I'm curious, there's probably, I mean, you talked about like reading all of these reference books to try to understand Loving versus Virginia and its place in history. But also this was a graduate design school project. So where did you look for inspiration as you're thinking about, you know, what does this mean from the point of view of a designer? And how did you decide what you would initially create to launch Loving Day?
1: So on the conceptual side, I had this idea for a holiday really by looking at other holidays. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has a day. That's an opportunity we have to learn every year. We have Black History Month and other Heritage Months in the U.S. But the thing that inspired me the most was Juneteenth. And I think a lot of folks know now it's observed on on June 19th commemorates the emancipation of enslaved Black Americans, but since it became a federal holiday in 2021, it's much more familiar. Back when I was starting this out, even though it was already huge, I saw this meaningful day observed by many thousands of people, but it had no official recognition. So I thought there's there's potential here. And not only that, I saw from the multiracial community, there were a few one-off celebrations, and um, round number anniversaries were usually the the way those were done. But it made me think, let's give this a try. So I think I was building on this other work by giving Loving Day a a name and framing it as an annual shared tradition that anyone could observe. And I think that's really been the vehicle to to get it into the press and social media. And not only that, getting uh, support from volunteers, because that's been a huge part of this project. And definite gratitude to everyone who's supported over the years.
0: it's certainly like grown since then, I think, in in large part to sort of like the consideration that's been taken by by you and, and people that are part of Loving Day to think about, like purposely think about designing for social movement and for community. And this is sort of different than, you know, other topics we've explored on the show, which have been about how do you create good user-centered product or human-centered product or services or or business. So from your point of view from 2004 to now, what do you think is uniquely important to consider when you are designing for a social movement that's made up of people and made up of a community?
1: So when I think about design as a professional practice, it's generally in the context of like commercial stuff, goods and services exchanged for money. And that's that's good, right? Commerce is good. But when you're designing for social movements and for community, I think you're, you're not talking about money. You're talking about, for the most part, being a meaningful part of people's lives. And in the case of Loving Day, we're talking about deeply personal things, right? Love, marriage, family, your identity. And I think on top of that, you have to consider that there are going to be limited resources, right? For for social movements and community, in some cases, you're working with volunteers who might wear many hats and are leveraging whatever skills they have or are willing to pick up. So in my case, I kind of lived into that by using my design training, because that's what I had, and used it to kick it off. And I think in the beginning, I was hoping that design work would add credibility to the project, right? I I saw people writing online in the beginning. Now, have you seen this Loving Day thing? I think it's real. I think that's largely because a designer made it, right? It had like a strong brand presence and refined kind of visual assets. But I do think that the real credibility comes from reflecting the community in an authentic way. So for example, there's photography on our website. In the beginning, I was taking all those photos, always of real couples, and then later on real photographers came in and contributed but recently most of our photos come from folks who post on social media with the loving day hashtag and we find them which is really wonderful it's it's a lot of joy in those images and it's getting easier since the loving day hashtag uh, has trended 3 times so far and it's been in the top 5 which is something where i have to like take screen grabs and try to remind myself that i'm not like imagining the whole thing but really it's a it's a powerful reflection of community yeah.
0: Yeah, so you just mentioned the the hashtag and how that's being used, which is an incredible way to to engage. I think with members of the community, are there like specific approaches that you focus on cultivating, like with the Loving Day community?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think at the heart of of the Loving Day project is learning from the past to improve on the present. You know, so on one level, that's literally learning from the past, like using history as a way to frame attitudes, current attitudes about identity and about race. But on another level, it's about learning from like what's worked from the project, right? And using that to guide what we do next. And, you know, I love that we're talking to a design audience about this. Uh, There's one story that kind of pops to mind, which is around the Loving Day logo. So, if you go to the website, you can see it's a there's a heart inside of a shield is a symbol for Loving Day. Uh, and we've applied it to plenty of stuff, right? Banners and t-shirts. But we actually turned it into a rubber stamp that we would use at events to stamp people's hands as they were checking in uh, into the event. So, one day we learned that someone got a tattoo, an actual like tattoo of the Loving Day logo on the you know basically where you might get a rubber stamp and i thought as a designer that's it it's all downhill from here there's there's been a tattoo i can just sort of the rest of it doesn't matter but one day a, a volunteer said why don't we do temporary tattoos? So we got inspired by the real one to make the temporary ones. And when we did, we made sure that they were made, I don't know what you know about temporary tattoos, but we got deep and you can you know, have them manufactured in a way that they have like a primer type layer so that the color will pop on any skin tone. So we thought that was important. But as we started giving them away at events or selling them in support of the project, uh, you know, we just found out that people love them kids love them. You see them running around sometimes literally like two or three applied to the face and looking really happy and excited. So I think that the takeaway is that people are smart. Communities are smart and they often know what good looks like. So if you listen and you amplify those things, you end up to tie it back to developing products. I mean, that's how we develop the product. And maybe people like the new one better than the old one in some cases. And it's just a virtuous cycle of serving the community or if you're in the design world, I guess you're you're serving your customers. Either way, we're we're trying to be of service.
0: That's an incredible story, and and I think embedded in, within that, what I think is so interesting is this idea of sort of reflecting on the things that the community is already doing, and then actually helping to amplify like good things the community has already started, and and bringing that to the broader movement. I think is such a smart idea, and also I think does help to show a little bit this distinction of like when you have a product or service, things can sometimes not like be a little bit more static. But when you have like a living, breathing thing, like a community, things continue to evolve and there's this ability to be able to leverage that. So maybe thinking more broadly, I'd love to hear from you also, like, how do you think about this role, like the role of design to change culture and organizations based on what you've learned being a part of this?
1: Mm, That's a great question. I think in the design community, we talk about design as something that should be built into a product, an integral part, not just like a polish or a thing that you add afterwards. And I believe in that, but lately I'm thinking about design as a tool that changes and affects the character of what it's applied to. So it's kind of like changing the fabric of where it lives. And if you design something that can become part of that fabric, even if it's like a little bit changed as a result, I think that change has resilience. And then you end up with something that has scale and perhaps a greater impact. And I have this story that comes to mind for that one. I facilitated a session at a conference and it had a focus on multiracial identity. So I introduced myself and saying, hey, I'm I'm the founder of Loving Day. And one of the participants told me that she knew about Loving Day, but didn't realize that there was anyone behind it, basically. Like she didn't realize it was a volunteer organization, didn't know it had a website, and she had never heard of me. And I was like, that is great. Because that means that Loving Day is becoming part of the fabric of culture, right? And she heard about it from from not us, right? Someone else, I don't know where, she doesn't know where. It could have been from the community or the press or like, I mean, sometimes the community gets in the press, could have been that, but not knowing makes me so happy, actually. I, I think it speaks to scale. It's like more than what any of our volunteers could do directly. And I think it scales into impact because if we think of our mission about visibility and education and a greater sense of community, All that matters, right? And you end up with this mission, we hope, right? Distributed so broadly in the fabric of society that it's resilient. And I think like if we stop doing what we're doing tomorrow or as designers, if, if we stop doing what we're doing tomorrow, do we think that what we're doing would continue to happen if we stopped? And if we did, maybe that means that it's resilient.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. And I think really speaks to this idea of, of community being a thing that can live on, like far beyond having a designer or group of people be behind it, right? To to build it, that, eventually you get to that point where the community is sort of like self-perpetuating and the idea is sort of self-perpetuating. One of the other things I've also noticed about Loving Day is that it's been fostered not only nationally. I mean, the, the case is an American case, but also it's led to now like international celebrations. So it's also grown and, and spread globally. So how do you think about cultivating that community action, even as you extend maybe beyond some of like what you originally imagined.
1: Before I answer that, would you mind if I build on what you were saying about self-perpetuating?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Cool. Because I think that when you say self-perpetuating, I think about design practice, right? In a professional setting, I think more and more companies are making design like part of the organization and investing in teams, both in terms of size and maturity. And for me as a design leader, like in that kind of context, I think about bringing the value of design across functional teams. And I think that idea of changing the fabric applies here as well. So within organizations and changing the way they do business, it's not just about the design team, but getting your cross-functional colleagues to understand the business value, you know, of, of design and advocating design, not just like through the design team, but into their practice of like shared activities. So in that way, you get the scale and the impact from the same thing, basically, right? Affecting the fabric. And I think that you do end up with something that's more uh, distributed and resilient as well. So just wanted to make that connective tissue between the work on Loving Day and also kind of the work that, that we do as designers.
0: Yeah, that's an incredible build. The question on how do you think about cultivating community action?
1: Yeah. So when I think about community action, I think it's with an understanding that Loving Day is not a universally known thing, at least not yet, but I think it has good momentum now, and that's driven by a vibrant community. So at this point, I, I think about this project as shifting towards stewardship, and an important part of that is empowering the community. So you have to listen to them for their ideas, but also acknowledge their work. And then you you end up amplifying those ideas and all that inspires others. I have to say that some of the ideas we hear are pretty bold. I mean, frankly, like I would not be brave enough to suggest them. And the one that comes to mind the most is, is weddings. So people started to plan their weddings on loving day or around loving, you know, you have to find a weekend or something, but I couldn't believe that. I was like, this is the most important day of your life or one of them, right? And But if it's happening every year, we should honor it. So we actually added a section to our website for it. And it's right there next to the more typical ways of of observing, right? Like gathering folks for picnics and barbecues. But we just started like building on that and sharing it back with the community. And it has its own momentum now. We even added like another page to our website called Inspiration, which is just literally filled with ways that people observe Loving Day that we want to reamplify. And we split that up according to kind of who's doing it in some cases, like teachers and students or cultural organizations or businesses, the, the list goes on.
0: You know, so in our conversation so far, we've talked a little bit about distributed leadership, trying to drive a social movement to be kind of self-perpetuating. I think one thing that I'm curious about is how you maybe design the Loving Day like community and help to empower others within the movement to kind of build towards that idea of being distributed.
1: Sure. Maybe I'll answer that by talking about events. Yeah. So especially early on, Loving Day was about bringing people together around June 12th as a way of, you know, building community. So as I mentioned, part of the beginning of Loving Day had to do with my graduate thesis. So one of the first things I did, in addition to building the the website, the concept and the branding, what have you, was to host the first event in New York City and about 100 people showed up. The next year, it was more like 300 people, and then it was more like 500. Then it got to be like a thousand people. It got very large for a while, and I think that was enabled by. By the way, you, there is no way, if you've ever tried, there's no way you're going to run a thousand-person event by yourself. That takes a lot of volunteers. And as the as the project grew, even things like the website or just managing like any sort of questions that would come in, all that had to be driven by volunteers. So. At Loving Day, we have what's called a core group of volunteers, and that's a group that's active all year long trying to make those things happen, and also involved in planning the events, and having leadership roles in those events as well. So we would refer to the Loving Day events as the flagship celebration, and the reason why is to get folks to see it as an example. We're like, we're going to make this as big and interesting and like welcoming as possible and hopefully other folks will do this as well. So, I think that there was some success there because as we grew our event, we saw other people grow their event and repeat the same event year after year. So, we were seeing for example there's an event in the Netherlands that's been going for many years, right? <laughs> Based on loving day. All that's wonderful. Those are like organized events that that people, you know, plan Way in advance, and they have the general public is generally welcome to them. But what's really powerful to me is as folks in the communities decide to host the picnics and the barbecues and the smaller events, or getting creative about what kinds of events they host. We've seen so many things like uh, arts kind of gatherings, right? Performances, games, or sports, or recreation, people going canoeing for Loving Day. In addition to the community and, and kind of food-based events, we also see educational events of folks saying we're going to do a panel discussion or have speakers or we're going to visit a museum or screen a film for Loving Day. So, so many things I think come together there where people feel like they're empowered to have ownership and to fit Loving Day into their lives, you know, in whatever way works best for them. So I think that's where the real power is, where you empower folks to build Loving Day into their own lives and make it work for them. Whether they're an artist or a teacher, a student, or just someone who wants to invite the, the neighbors over or say something to their kids every year, you know, that's where I think the magic is.
0: Yeah, there's been so many events and different ways of celebrating that have been done. Like, did you imagine when you're starting this project that Loving Day would grow into the national and even international celebration that it is today?
1: I definitely did not imagine that Loving Day would grow into what it is today. To be honest with you, it felt a little bit ridiculous to try, <laughs> but I knew that it was meaningful to me. And the people I shared it with seemed to think it was meaningful as well. That includes friends and family with a similar lived experience and you know my classmates in the beginning when it was a school project and, and also the community that I was hoping to serve. but. Over the years, I feel like a few things happened that made me feel like I can't believe this is happening. For example, our our first international press came from journalists who literally grabbed their passports and got on a plane to attend one of our events in New York. And there's been a lot more international press since then. Or, as I was mentioning, the idea of people gathering folks in other cities and other countries around the world, some of whom I've met from Italy, from Japan, from other places. But I think this is just like a acknowledgement of the community, right? We, we just want to showcase what they're doing. And one thing that we showcase is cities will officially recognize Loving Day in some cases. And it's happened enough times that we actually built out a section of our website to showcase them. And that's been wonderful because sometimes even more cities or, or places will want to officially recognize Loving Day and will say, oh, if you're looking for examples, here is like a list, basically, that you can pull from. It's been wonderful to see that and also Loving Day included in um, calendars of observation from cultural institutions and schools and, and other places as well.
0: So, I mean, over the last 18 years, I mean, Loving Day has grown and expanded, but also your own career has kind of evolved with design roles in industry. You've taught design, you've been an active design speaker and critic both about industry at large, but also about Loving Day. I'm curious, basically, just from the last 18 years, like, how do you think that the experience of kind of creating Loving Day and and seeing it through has shaped you as a designer?
1: Yeah, I think that working on Loving Day has shown me that design is capable of a lot as a practice. I think in some cases, design can be a successful tool, maybe where other tools have been tried before, and I've seen it drive positive change, and I think that it can actually create impact at the scale of culture and of society. On a personal level, I'd say that Loving Day gives me the opportunity to do things that I I never thought I would do. You know, for example, speaking to the press is not something I imagined I would have to learn how to do. But I felt so deeply that I needed to serve the community as well as I could. So I learned, you know, the hard way through trial and error doing that. And I think the same story for for doing public speaking. You know, I think as designers, I think we often imagine ourselves doing a design crit or a client presentation, but not necessarily behind a podium, right? If you're at a university or a conference, And actually, once I was uh, moderating a panel at a university, which included, you know, the community of that university, but also like the community around the university. And at one point, the Q&A gets heated and people are like standing up in their seats and talking over each other. And it's a conversation about race, right? So emotions are running high. And as a moderator, it's up to me, right? I have to make sure the conversation continues, but with space for everyone to be heard, And I'm thinking like when I I have those moments, I'm thinking, you know, I went from pushing a mouse to like managing design projects. And now like, how did I get here, right? But I think once you get used to that a little bit and you're facilitating conversations about identity and race, it helps you to build this capacity to find common ground even when it's challenging to do that. And I really think that that translates into design practice since as designers we're often advocating for a solution that might not be familiar to who we're talking to. Also useful capacity for managing people and for teams. And just, I think that people can do this, right? I, I believe in a designer's ability to do that. And maybe that's my teaching experience and my my like managing team's experience. But I do really want to help designers who I cross paths with to feel empowered to do these things or at least give it a try.
0: Yeah. So speaking of thinking about the role of design, how could it expand? So today, the context and conversation around racial justice, equity and social movements has changed. I think certainly has changed since 2004 when you started Loving Day. So for today's context, how do you think the design field could and should better address designing for equity in particular?
1: That's an important question. And I, I hear the community, the design community, talking about the shift from designing for communities to designing with communities. And I believe in that idea, not just because it's been working for Loving Day since since I started working on it in 2003. And I, I don't think that the Loving Day project would really exist in the way that it does today without community. But when we're speaking about racial justice and equity, I believe that what, what you say and even like the things you design should be grounded in in who you are and what you do. So, for example, in 2020, you heard a lot of companies putting out statements about race that were criticized, you know, for not being, coming from an authentic place. But when Loving Day put a statement out in support of Black lives and racial justice, it was very specific, I think, to being a diverse community that includes Black people among a lot of other people. So we're really specific about our roots in that sense, but also about our roots in a Supreme Court decision that overturns centuries of racist laws. This is not the kind of statement you can like grab from somewhere, right? And cut and paste. I also don't think that it's something that is um, simple to generate or really effective to generate well without input from the community. And that's something we asked for and we're grateful when when it came back to us. So to tie it to design, uh, this is a little bit nerdy, maybe, but I thought about classic examples of industrial design, where they say if you take something, you know, it's a it's a bottle, it's just something, you know, a piece of electronics, you smash it apart, and if you could tell that the little piece that you have left came from a certain spot, then it's something that is it, it really belongs to the materiality of the thing, right? You can tell where it came from, and it's unique to that place. So I wanted our uh, any statement that we made. to to kind of be like that, right? To be unique to us, and you could tell that it came from us, you know, talking about our history of the loving decision or coming from a a place of love, things that that are really part of our fabric, right? And later, when we rebuilt our website, totally from scratch, you know, one thing that, that remained untouched was that statement. So, as you said, the conversation on race has changed, and I think the designers need to meet the moment. And for a lot of us, I think that requires education, just ongoing, right? Ongoing education, something I'm leaning into even more in these past few years and something that I I bring to my design practice.
0: So the context has changed, but also we're thinking now towards the future of how can Loving Day and movements like it continue to evolve. So as you think about like how this context has changed, what is top of mind now as you think about the future of design, the future of kind of social movements and, and what are you optimistic about?
1: I love thinking about the future in general, I have to say, and and design, the future of design, design the future in particular. I'm I'm optimistic about designers as a conduit for bringing the future, at least like parts of the future, elements of it into the present. And I think that can have a positive impact on the fabric of culture. And I think as that ability that designers have becomes more broadly recognized, you see more investment in design, their departments, but also the tools to support design practices, and education especially around the design and equity kind of intersection and to focus on that one for a minute i think there's more specialized resources now for learning about that than i've ever seen since i started working on loving day like webinars classes and books and and even like specialists right specialized design practitioners that you can work with but for loving day itself i'm optimistic cuz i see signs that like maybe it is becoming part of the social fabric And in in the design community, I think that we talk about this idea of invisible design. Like it's good design disappears. And I think that's usually said in the context of like a user experience that is frictionless and that kind of thing. But I hope that Loving Day could be an example of invisible design as well, where like, yeah, it started out as a design project, but maybe it just blends into the fabric in a way that just is part of society and it's meaningful and it's resilient. And just like continues in that way.
0: That's a really meaningful way to think about the future of design. I think this idea of embedding into social fabric is not a, not a way of framing that we've heard a lot of within like design as industry, but I think is really valuable. But maybe as like we close out our conversation today, like for people that are interested in celebrating Loving Day, I mean, it's on June 12th, so coming up, what are ways that they can get involved?
1: I always like to say that Loving Day should fit into your life. And just become a part of what you have going on already. And there's so many ways to do that. And that's a big part of why lovingday.org, our website exists, is to collect those ways and inspire people to answer that exact question, right? So in addition to sharing with the hashtag lovingday or gathering people around June 12th, safely, of course, I think some people actually see the day as an opportunity to to stand in solidarity with the community that represents their own identity or maybe their partner's identity, or maybe they just want to support that community. I'd just like to encourage folks to visit lovingday.org for for those kinds of ideas. But speaking for a minute to, to designers who are out there, I'll just say this. If you come up with a great idea, of a way to share Loving Day through your design work, I hope you'll share it back because we'll probably end up amplifying it and rebroadcasting it out to to other designers. We need to like a designer section of lovingday.org to tie it into like really have like the the big, big tie-in. On the inspiration page, there's actually a section already for content creators where we say you should share Loving Day through whatever platform you have, including podcasts. So I feel like we're doing it like right now as we speak. So I'm very grateful for that. Thank you for for doing that. It's it's connecting directly to what we hope would happen with Loving Day.
0: Yeah. And thank you so much, Ken, for joining me. It's been an incredible conversation to get to dive into this topic to talk more about Loving Day. Thanks for having me. And so for everyone that's listening to learn more about Loving Day, as Ken mentioned, you can visit LovingDay.org. We'll also be posting up show notes from today's episodes, along with links to things that we've discussed during the course of this conversation. Thank you to everyone out there for listening. To follow along and hear the most recent releases, head to substantial.com backslash optimistic design. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to Optimistic Design and leave a comment. Join us next time as we continue to take a future-focused look at design, ethical innovation, and technology. I'm Wilma Lam, and I look forward to talking with you again soon.